today will be uh, continuing through the month of December called Family Christmas. I was thinking about uh, that idea of Family Christmas, you know, sort of the wonder of it. Uh, candy canes and cinnamon spice, apple cider and white lights twinkling, presents under the tree, delightful foods cooking in the kitchen, the warm feeling of loved ones being close, the sanctuary of belonging somewhere, family Christmas, like a, like a Hallmark commercial. And all of that overlooks at least one glaring reality. There are people involved. <laughs> and wherever there are people, uh, there are problems. How many of you have messed up people in your family? Everybody? How many of you think it's everybody else? <laughs> it's like, you're not the one that's messed up, right? This month, we're going to look at the Christmas story through the lens of family. We're going to look at the Christmas story through the lens of Jesus' family. And I, I want you to, as we sort of walk through this series together, man, I'd love for you to be here uh, each of the next few weeks because next Sunday morning, uh, we're going to celebrate uh, and we're going to talk about Jesus' birth and we're going to celebrate water baptism uh, together. And so if you'd like to be baptized in water, man, I'd love for you to come next week and celebrate that new birth. Just as we're talking about Jesus' birth, we're going to be talking about uh, new birth in Christ. And so love for you to come and join us there. In the, if you want more information about water baptism for next Sunday, you can go to the Welcome Center and they'll show you how to fill a card out and so we'll, so we'll know that you're coming and be ready for you. The week after that, we're going to talk about the wise men and the gifts that they, that they brought. And then the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to look at the Christmas story. We're going to talk about my, my favorite part of the Christmas story, Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to have one combined service that morning uh, at 10 a.m. And we're going to share communion together. It's going to be a very special day. And so I'd, I'd love for you to join us for all of those. Today we're going to start with Jesus' family. Uh, Jesus was presented to us in a family, and Jesus still has a family today. It's called the church. And sometimes we look at Jesus' family or the church in a very different way than Jesus did. And so I want to constantly be talking through these different family contexts. Our family unit, the historical family of Jesus... The present family of Jesus we call the church. And sometimes we look at the church or Jesus' family very different than, than he did. Sometimes we look at the church or can be tempted to look at the church as a business. You know, we kind of approach it as a, as a group of people or an entity that we want to get the most we can from it while giving as little as we can to it. Kind of like the consumer would. You know, businesses, your Black Friday, Cyber Monday, man, we're scanning the aisles, we're scanning the internet, we're looking for the best deal. How can I get, our culture's trained us to figure out, how can I get the most for the least? And sometimes we can be tempted to view the church that way. Sometimes we view the church as an entitlement. God owes me, the church owes me, you have to treat me right because you're a Christian. But I don't have any responsibility to that myself. Sometimes we can view the church as inspiring entertainment, kind of like a football game. I go and I watch, but I'm not putting on a helmet and I'm not getting on the field. I'm not really involved, but boy, doesn't it feel good to be a part of that. And sometimes, maybe you've even heard this, we look at the church like a hospital. The sick come in and they get better, but I think a hospital is a terrible analogy for a church. 
Because when you get better, you leave. And you go back to the life that you were. The church isn't, the church isn't a, a, a rehab. It's a family. It's not a place to go and check in and get better and check out. It's a, it's a family. Now, the biggest opportunity in the world is to be part of Jesus' family and his church and what he's doing on earth. And so, if you want to write this thought down, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this one thought down. This thought will be a driving thought for the entire series. Here it is. If having a relationship with Jesus is most important, then having a relationship with the people who love Jesus is very important. If having a relationship with Jesus is most important, then having a relationship with people who love Jesus is very important. So this Christmas, we're going to look at Jesus' birth through that lens. It's so fascinating to me that, that uh, of all the images and the metaphors that God could have chosen by which to reveal himself, he chooses the, the uh, idea of father. Strong, emotionally compelling, inviting. God is father. So the church is family. In Christ, we have brothers and we have sisters and leaders in the body of Christ and the family of God are like moms and dads. And so we're going to look at the first book of the New Testament and we're going to look at Matthew and how Jesus is presented to us through Matthew. So uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is sort of delivered to the earth. Uh, he's not dropped off on an island. He's not, he's not a spaceship doesn't land and kick him out the door full grown. Jesus comes to us on earth through the context of a family, and that's very interesting to me because if you look at some of Jesus' relatives, there's some folks in his family I wouldn't have mentioned. I would have pretended we didn't know them. You have family like that? Sometimes the holidays can be difficult and painful because it involves, well, it involves people. And then there's issues of disappointment, and there's issues of grief and loss and longing and we think about those things more during the holidays oftentimes than we do during the frantic pace of the year Jesus had a very sinful and complicated family now I want you to imagine this morning as we go through we're just going to kind of look at some of Jesus family members today that'll set the stage for the rest of the month I want you to imagine Jesus were here physically this morning and he was a we had come to Jesus' family reunion. You, you ever go to somebody else's family reunion, they walk you around and go, oh, this is aunt so-and-so, and this is uncle, this is my cousin, and you know, they, they divorce, but they still come anyway, and you know, this is that person, there's the niece, and there's the nephew, and you ever been sort of introduced along a family line? Imagine Jesus is here this morning. He's sort of introducing us in his family reunion to the members of his family. Now, I'm not going to read it because it would probably be about as interesting as reading a phone book. You're welcome. What I will do, and, and, and furthermore, about a third of the names I can't pronounce. What I will do is I want to look through Matthew 1, verse 1, and then we'll, the next 17 verses just list the family of Jesus. The, sort of he was at a reunion and they were all alive at once, all these folks would be there. And what I want to do is just pull out some of the people that you, you probably already know. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now look at verse 2. You see again this character. If you've got a pen, circle this in your Bible. You see Abraham. We'll look at him. Verse 3. 
uh, we see a woman named Tamar. Circle her. We'll, we'll talk about her. Verse 5, you see another lady named Ruth. Circle her. Verse 6, you see uh, D- David, King David. And also in verse 6, you have this unnamed person who's only described as whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Circle that one. Here's the five characters we'll look at this morning. And then in verse 17 it says, Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to Babylon, and 14 from exile to the Messiah. Just before that we come to Joseph and Mary. So let's just pretend we're following Jesus around and he's bringing us to his relatives. And he says, oh, by the way, this is Abraham. He's in my family. He's mentioned 300 times in the Bible. God works through Abraham so powerfully, he's called the father of faith. In other words, every Christian on earth who's ever existed can ultimately trace their roots back to Abraham in the sense that we've been adopted into Abraham's family. He was such an important figure, three religions in the world today would claim their religion is based on his teaching, uh, Christianity, uh, Judaism, and Islam. What's interesting about him is this. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't in God's chosen people. He was, a, he was a Gentile. I don't even know if you know this or not, but Abraham came from the same people who created the Tower of Babel. That was his people. And God called him. He wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for him. How many of you came to faith that way? That's how I came to faith. I wasn't looking for God. He was looking for me. And, and, and I came to a crisis point and I found it. Abraham, as great as he was, as great as he became, he needed God. And Scripture tells us that he lied twice about his wife being married, being married to her. He was afraid what would happen to him if these other men found out he was married to her. They're afraid that they would kill him and take her. So what he said is, is she's my sister. So I want you to see if you can grab this story now. A liar from a pagan culture was welcomed into Jesus' family. And then as we move down the family line, Jesus will walk us over and say, and this is David. This is King David. David is also a huge figure in human history. He was a king. We're told that Jesus was going to be born in the city of David. The king of kings would come from the king's city. But David was not always a godly man. Matthew hints at it, even though he doesn't name her. He says, David, the, wife, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. How's he, how's he the father of someone by someone else's wife? Did you catch that? Uriah was in David's army. He was at war defending the king and the kingdom. And David saw his wife and he wanted her, so he took her and impregnated her, and he had Uriah executed. Now, how many of you have little kids you watch VeggieTales? Any VeggieTale watchers in here? In the VeggieTale episode, you, know, you wonder, how would they talk about this? How would they tell this story in VeggieTale? In the VeggieTale episode, it says that King David wanted her ducky because she's in the bathtub. I think it was a little more evil than that. But in Jesus' family... I want you to think about it, an adulterer and a murderer was welcome into Jesus' family. And then moving down the, the uh, sort of the family reunion, Jesus walks us over to 
a few ladies. Now, this is very fascinating because it, this is a, a, a patriarchal society, not a matriarchal. So it's unusual the family line is always traced through men, not women. So it's very unusual that these ladies are showing up in Jesus' family line. It's very significant that so many women are listed there in a time where women were given no ability to pass on the family name or the family legacy or be counted in the lineage in any way. Not only is it interesting that three, these three women are there, it's interesting because these three women are highly problematic people. Not everyone in the Bible has a great, is a great example. You know, you might be looking at uh, maybe some of you who are younger and are thinking about having a baby or looking for baby names. You may say, oh, I heard the greatest baby name the other day, Rahab. Tamar, don't go there. Look up the meaning of the name before you just jump out there and grab onto the newest thing. Tamar is one of the people that Jesus would introduce us to if this was his family reunion. Tamar, in order to get revenge on her father-in-law, she dresses up like a prostitute and she stands out by the road where prostitutes would stand and she hides her face. She waits for her father-in-law to, to pass by. Now, he's no victim. He's guilty and he's sinful. He, he goes for it. He impregnates her. And only later does he find out that it was his daughter-in-law posing as the prostitute that he slept with. And now he is both grandpa and daddy all at one time. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that Thanksgiving would have been? What if she tapped on the glass and said, I have an announcement. I'm pregnant. Oh, that's great. Who's the father? He's here with us. Can you imagine in one fail swoop, this family could have realized that Tamar was pregnant, she sold herself as a prostitute, and the patriarch of the family was the father. What's fascinating to me, a revengeful prostitute was welcome in Jesus' family. She was added to the family reunion. And then that brings us to Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, which is a whole story in itself. But these people had separated from Israel. They get their own false god. They get their own religion. They were sort of like that side of the family. You know what I'm saying? Anybody got that? that you, do you do it like this when you describe them? They're that side of the family? During a famine, all the lines get blurred and some of God's people uh, encounter Ruth and they share with her. She joins God's family. Her, her husband dies. She marries a guy named Boaz. And she becomes, watch this, Ruth from, from Moab becomes the great-grandmother of King David. Isn't that incredible? She's from the wrong family. She has the wrong history. She has the wrong spirituality. She meets God, and now she's part of the family and the great-grandmother of King David. That is fascinating to me. I wouldn't have included any of these names. You can come from a broken or a bad family, but by God's grace, everything can change. I remember when I took my two sons to a family graveyard way out in the country. You have to get lost to find it. Way out in the country where my great-great-grandfather pastored a church called West Memorial Chapel. I didn't know until I was nearly an adult that anybody on my dad's side of the family 
had one, ever even been a Christian. Two, had ever been a pastor of any kind. And when we went to that cemetery, and I saw my great-grandfather's tombstone, which was concrete in the form of a pulpit with an open Bible. I took my two boys up next to it, and I said, let's take a picture. This is where our family line gets back right. I don't know why it went astray. I don't know how it got off track so many generations. But by God's grace, this is the generation that comes back. We're going to do it together. I'm going to do it, and you're going to do it, and you're going to pass it along. By God's grace, people from broken families and broken, dilapidated situations can come into God's family with acceptance and joy and healing and peace and legacy and faith. By God's grace, I'm so glad. I would never have included these people, but I'm so glad Jesus did. Because it means there's room for people like me. Then there's one more, Bathsheba. You probably remember Bathsheba. She was the wife of the man King David had killed because he slept with her while her husband was gone to war. Even as bad as our culture is today, you can turn the TV on and see all kind of junk on regular access television day or night. As bad as our culture is today, the average person would still say that's a bad thing. You cheated on your husband while he was at war and you got pregnant. This would be bad on reality TV. Even by today's standards. But God uses even what is evil for good. David repents, and Bathsheba and he get married, and later they have another child, and his name is Solomon. And Solomon writes three books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and Proverbs, and he is called the wisest man who ever lived. And Bathsheba, a cheater, finds her way as the wife of King David and the mother of Solomon into Jesus' family. Can you believe the redemptive power of God? I guarantee you there are people here this morning who have, who have committed adultery. There are people here today who have had a child out of wedlock. Maybe you slept with someone you shouldn't have slept with. Maybe you've done something you shouldn't have done. You've done some things you can't undo. But I've got a good message for you at Christmas. There's hope for you. God's grace is greater than your sin. And he can redeem even the bad that you've done. And he can somehow twist it and redeem it and purify it. It'll never be right. It'll never be right that you did it. But he can, he can redeem it. He can use it for his good and his glory if you'll let him have it. Imagine Jesus' family. Think of all the families on earth now that God could have entered the world through. Surely there's a better one than this one. A woman who cheated on her husband is welcome into Jesus' family. Now I want to give you a few thoughts that I learned as I look back through Jesus' family. If you got something to write, write these things down. Here's the first thing I learned. God loves people and he knows us by name. Can you believe? We look at these 17 verses and we go, I don't know that one. I don't know that one. I don't know that one. I don't know who that is. I can't even pronounce that. I don't know what language that came from. 
It's just a list of people and people and people and people. And to us, they're nobody. You ever go to a graduation, there's like 491 people graduating, and you know one of them? And they call them out there, oh, you know, there's the funny one, oh, you know, stuff goes off, you go, oh, that's great, I don't know who that is. There's another one, I don't know, they all look alike, they got caps, they got gowns, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. And then that one person, you've waited half the night, three hours in, you're squished down in that little chair, you're, you're ready to go, you know, and that one person, you know, comes across stage, you go, oh, yay! And partly out of relief that something's happening that you get, you stand and clap. And partly because you're excited for them, yay, I know them, there's whatever, there's Johnny, there's Bob, there's sis, whoever. Woo! You know what's awesome about God? He feels that way about every one of us. Every name. God knows every one of us by name and he feels that way about all of us God loves people and he knows everybody by name and this may seem like a random list to you and I but it's people that God loved just because we never met them it doesn't mean that they're less important if God knew their name he knows your name he knows who you are he knows where you're from he knows what you're going through he knows everything about you. The second thing I saw is that God works through families. God works through families. God's favorite way of working is through families. The Bible says that there was, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, the faith that lived in your grandmother first and then lived in your mother and now lives in you. The Bible says he is the God of, of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God loves it when faith and character and love are handed down from one generation to the next. And he loves it. It's an absolute thrill. It's an absolute joy to him when, when love for him and faith in him and his promises are held dearly and they are handed from one family to another generation he loves it God works through families just like in the Old Testament the blessing would travel the elder the elder family member would call the kids or grandkids and he would lay his hands on them and he would speak a blessing over their life when that faith will travel can you imagine the incredible purpose that that gives both generations the one that says, the faith that lives in me will live on in you. Even though my body may die, even though my body may live this earth, the experiences that I had with God are not going to be wasted or end. They will move on. And then that young person receives that blessing and says, I have depth and roots because of the people that came before me. What a fantastic way that God loves to move. Here's the third thing I saw. We've looked at Jesus' family looking backward, but what about moving forward? Those are the people that were in Jesus' family line, but when Jesus came and he died, and he opened up his entire family to the whole world. Here's the third thing. The church is Jesus' family. 
If having a relationship with Jesus is most important, then having a relationship with people who love Jesus is very important. Many of you are aware of this. There's a, a, a man in our church named Stan Bruce who passed away uh, early, early last week. Been a part of this church family for more than 30 years. Dearly, dearly, dearly loved by everyone who knew him. We'll have a, a visitation here in the sanctuary at 2, and the, the uh, memorial service will be at 3. Stan's impacted so many people's lives. I was over... Uh, with the family and a few of our staff and people who've walked with that family for more than 30 years were all together and they were telling stories that would make you laugh, that would make you cry of things that they had done together, dumb things they had tried that didn't work, incredible things that they had done that you go, wow. And I, I, it was so fun to me to sit and just listen to those stories crazy, goofy, deep, meaningful. It's, it's like life. It, in a moment like that, everything sort of gets unpacked at one time, a whole lifetime. And it was all just coming out, and when they were in the middle of it, crying and laughing and sharing, somebody spoke up and said, well, we really, we really ought to get together and, and tell these stories. They, they, they have to be told. They have to be shared. And I thought, what is... What does that mean we really have to get together and share these stories? And I started thinking about the people that were sitting on the couch in that living room. Other than Stan's wife, Sandy, nobody in that room knew each other before they came to God's family. Nobody. Nobody knew each other. Different parts of the, of the country. Different walks of life. Would have never had an occasion to ever have met one another, let alone experience so much depth and meaning. Aside from Jesus' family. But these unlikely strangers gathered together underneath the umbrella of Jesus' family share some of the most meaningful, deep, precious, passionate moments in life glued together for more than 30 years. What do you call that? Well, somebody spoke up and said, this isn't, this isn't a passing of just a friend. This isn't just a pastor and his people in the church. This is, this is family. I thought, yes. It's Jesus' family. And only Jesus' family can stick people together who have no other reason to be together like that. And I, as I stood, I thought, God, I don't ever want to forget this moment. How mysterious and how wonderful and how powerful. God, I, I want every person to know that kind of connection in Jesus' family. What a miracle. What an absolute miracle. The church is Jesus' family. When Stacy and I, we met in college in Florida, she's, my wife's from here, and I'm from Memphis, and we never lived close enough to either of our families except to travel, you know, uh, a couple times a year and see them. 
And so everywhere we've lived, almost 20 years, the church that we were a part of, Jesus' family, was our family. And when we go back to Florida or we go back to Gulfport or we go back to the places that we serve, there are people we want to see. Oh, man, we want to see, you know, we want to see this couple. We want to see this family. wonder, you know, how old are their kids now? What? Boy, they've graduated. How did they get that old so fast? How did that happen? And you see those things snap by. Married, how are they already married? They were like 10 the last time. They have children? I'm old. How did that happen? And, and that, that the church, Jesus' family has always been our family. Because we just never had any other option. But you know what we found inside Jesus' family? Everything we needed. That's what we found. The church isn't a business. It's not a company. It's not a governmental agency. It's not a sports team. It's not an organization. Just because it might have similarities in structure to some other kind of entity out there doesn't mean that it's actually in its essence anything like it. It's like nothing else. It's Jesus' family. It's Jesus' body. It's, it's, it's the hope of the world. And so today we're gathered as Jesus' family. I wonder if you know how this church even started, how this, how this part of Jesus' family even came to be. This part of Jesus' family that we're gathered with today started in a prayer meeting. Jack and Fanny Blankenship had a young daughter named Ruth who developed a severe foot infection. And she continued to get worse rapidly and uh, uh, her family and friends called a traveling preacher who was coming through the area to join them in a prayer meeting and they would get together and they would pray for her. Well, this little girl who was sick named Ruth, she recovered quick. When they started to pray for her, man, she, she, she was healed. And just because she was healed and the traveling preacher went away, the prayer meeting continued on for a few more years. That group outgrew the home that they met in. And so they started to meet in a tent in 1929. A tornado came and shredded that tent. And so that little group decided to build a small building and it was declared a church in 1929. So today as we gather together in this part of Jesus' family, I got news for you, all of us are new to this family. You know how I know we're new? Because none of us were here in 1929. Right? Anybody here when the tent was blown away? Nobody. So we're all new to this family. I do wonder, I do wonder who's, who's been a part of this family the longest. How many of you, how many of you, you've been here less than a year? Would you kind of just lift your hand? Let's just find out about the family here. Less than a year. If you're a guest today, that includes you, by the way. I don't know. Didn't want to state the obvious. One more time. Less than a year. Balcony. Yeah, hey, Welcome. Man, it's so cool to have you guys here today. Isn't it? Would you welcome them? Isn't it great to have people that are kind of new to the family? That's awesome. Less than five years. Wow. How old? My hand's up. Yes. I'm less than five years. Four and a half. All right. Less than ten. All right. You've been here 20 years. 20. Come on, Mark. Peggy, you're there. Veterans, more than 20. Sorry, I changed it. More than 20. More than 30. All right. Hold on, hold on. 
more than 35. All right, 36. Hold them. 37. Can I hear 38? 38, 38, 39, 39, 39, 39. 40. 41. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 48, 49, 50. Wait, wait, we still got, wait, wait, we're still in. We got two, wait, keep it up. We got two still in. Anybody over here that I'm missing? Where, right, right here, 51, 2. All right, just tell me, how long? How long? Anybody be 68? 68, you were here the year after the tent blew away. 68. Would you give them a big hand? 68 years. Man, is that incredible? Those people who gathered in that little home to pray for that little girl who was sick could have never fathomed what Jesus was going to do and through this part of his family. They could have never, their mind would have been blown. And today it kind of feels like our church is sort of always pregnant. We're always starting new things and new people come and dedicating new babies and having water baptism and starting new ministries. And we want Jesus' family to grow and we want people to be adopted by God. And we want more brothers and more sisters and we want to celebrate more of those things. The challenge in a larger church is sometimes we can lose the Father's heart that His church is a family. And in a part of the country where there is many cultural Christians as there are New Testament Christians, the church can sort of be seen as a club or an organization or a group or a this thing or that thing or the other. A place you just shop for a spiritual bargain, but... This is Jesus' family, and we're in a family, and so that means that we all care, and we all pray, and we all serve, and we all give, and it means we're not just concerned about ourselves and what we get out of this. We're genuinely concerned about our brothers and sisters and our moms and dads in faith and our grandparents in faith and our children and grandchildren in faith, and it means that we're genuinely concerned about each other, and we're concerned that the family grows. And we're not all at the same place, and we've not all been part of the family, obviously, for the same amount of time. But we all have to grow. We all have to have relationships. We all have to have a connection and an encounter with God. We all have to share our faith. And even though Kingwood is a big, complicated uh, church, even though there's hundreds of people that call this home, a few thousand people call this home, and hundreds of people come through every week, and, and there's no way everybody can know everybody. But everybody can know somebody. And everybody should be like family to somebody. But everybody can't be family with everybody. It's still a family. The church is Jesus' family. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Here's the last thought. This is what I learned when I read Jesus' family reunion. There's room for you. If there's room for Rahab, and there's room for Tamar, and there's room for David, and there's room for Bathsheba, and there's room for Abraham, and there's room for people like me, then there's room for people like you. No matter where you come from, no matter what color you are, 
No matter what age you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done wrong, there's room for you. I don't know how to see Jesus' family any other way. Jesus' family is not exclusive. It's inclusive. There are some ways to get in. There are some things to do. We have to come to faith in Jesus. We have to accept his forgiveness. We have to be honest about what we've done and where we've come from and who we are to him. But just as soon as we do, we find open arms and forgiveness. We find relationship. We find healing. We find recovery. We find redemption. We find peace. Can you imagine Jesus' family? This is really a mixed bag. Jesus' family has incest in it and adultery and lying and murder. But somehow Jesus comes to earth and he's introduced as an extension of those people. I think as a church family, we're in the middle of a really epic story. Really cool stuff is happening here. Just like I sat on the couch and listened to those stories earlier this week, and I heard about all those things, and I thought, oh, man, one day that's going to be a bunch of us sitting around. You remember when we did that goofy? Remember when we tried that? Remember when that happened? And Jesus' family rolls on. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it. And I'm so grateful that people welcomed me and made me part of it. There's room for you this morning. I think about how unique Kingwood Church is. Every generation is represented in this church. There are hundreds of children, teenagers, young singles. There are families with teenagers, moms and dads, 40-somethings and 50-somethings and empty nesters and grandmas and grandpas and senior adults. There are people from every walk of life. I look in the balcony every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and I see our Hispanic ministry here. And I see the people that are here that have been welcomed into this family and I thank God. And I look across across the holidays. I, uh, when, we, when we were away, I visited... Uh, when, when, you, when you go out of town, you visit another church. You look around and you realize that sometimes church can be about everybody being the same. But I thank God that with our church, it's not like that. Everybody in this room is not the same. We have African-American and Hispanic and people from... Well, we have African-African and people from Tanzania and Kenya and we have people from all over the world and we have people from different backgrounds people from Alabama and people not from Alabama different ages and I just think we're in the middle of a really phenomenal story and what's go- I'm so excited about next year you know what's going to happen next year? there are going to be people added to this family we haven't even met yet there are going to be people baptized in water next year we don't even know yet is that not cool? I mean, a 68-year story had to start somewhere. Doesn't matter how long you've been part of the family, there had a beginning point. And next year's going to be somebody's beginning point. And then that history will go on and go on and go on. And there'll be sick people who come in this place that are healed. And there'll be people who've been stuck that'll find freedom. And there'll be people who will be internally and emotionally healed. And new people will come and find family-like relationships in this body. In a life group. 
really, really cool stuff when you think about it. And there's room for you. I want us to end this morning kind of on that note. If Jesus is most important, then the people who love Jesus is very important. Very important. This is not a company or a business or a... This, this place can't just be broken down into statistics and be understood. It has to be understood as a supernatural reality of God working on earth. That's the only way to really see it the way.